Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, July 21st. We begin with our monthly conversation with Police Chief Mark Newfeld. We get the Chief's thoughts on this year's edition of the Calgary Stampede through the eyes of the CPS and hear about the winners of this year's Community Justice Awards. Next, we look at the widespread issue of debt as we move out of the pandemic. Licensed insolvency trustee Marie Kozlowski offers up some steps you can take if you're struggling to make ends meet. It's no secret that social media has been a hotbed of misinformation when it comes to COVID-19 and vaccines in particular, but could the online platforms actually be used as a tool to battle anti-vaccination messages? We discuss with a professor of computer science. And finally, the city moved to expand outdoor patios heading into the summer to help give local businesses a boost coming out of the pandemic. Now one city councillor says the expansion should become a summer tradition. We speak with Ward 8 councillor Evan Woolley. And Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld joins us this morning for his monthly visit with us here on the Morning News. Good morning to you, Chief. Hey, good morning, Andy. And you too, Sue. Thank you. Good morning. Want to start with what we wrapped up on Sunday, the greatest outdoor show on earth with Stampede 2021 looking a little different behind us. Uh, I'm wondering how did it go through the eyes of the CPS? Mm. Oh, uh, you know what? It was good. Uh, of course, it was a smaller event than uh, than it would normally be, and, and we all expected that. But uh, you know what? Lots of families out and lots of people getting out there after the uh, lifting of the restrictions, and I think there was a good sense of optimism, and people were really happy to get out and reconnect again. So uh, overall, it was you know quieter for our members, as you would expect, and and uh, but that gave them time to you know sort of interact and spend a bit more time with uh, the community in a in a proactive way, and I think it was all good. That's, that is a good thing for sure. Uh, let's talk about this uh, impaired driving month. Is it fair to say we'll see an increased presence this month then for check stops and awareness campaigns? Because we can never, ever spread this message too much. No, and that would be very fair. Uh, as you said, uh, July is impaired driving prevention month on the Alberta traffic safety calendar. And so, yeah, we will have check stops out and about uh, throughout the month as we do all year. But uh, like I said, there'll be a focus and it's timely because uh, I think that we've talked a little bit in the past that we were seeing traffic patterns return to, I guess, what I would sort of, you know, equate to pre-pandemic type levels and then you know we have I have to tell you we have seen uh, eight fatal collisions so far in 2021 which is certainly up for us and half of those have have involved uh, either drugs or alcohol so I think it's time for a for a reminder. I want to ask you we we talked about the impact during COVID with masks and and, and the CPS you folks doing your jobs I'm wondering uh, you know as far as the the heavy-duty smoke that we'd seen uh, and perhaps we'll see more in the coming weeks or so. Uh, how does that affect uh, policing, and, and particularly those on-foot patrols that we see uh, so much, particularly in the downtown core Beltline areas? Well, great uh, question, Andy. I think uh, foot patrols and people on bikes where they're exerting themselves, I think, have to be a bit more concerned about that. So this is something new to have, um, you know, those types of levels of smoke and air quality uh, for that uh, extended period of time. So our occupational health and safety folks are taking that into consideration. It is hard, as you can imagine, if you're riding a bike or exerting yourself to wear a mask as well because it restricts your breathing. But uh, it's, you know, this is something that we're going to have to be looking at going forward because Mm -hmm. I think um, we haven't certainly seen the last of this even this year. And it's something that I think we can expect to see more of in the future. So, uh, Chief, there are a handful of ACERT investigations, either ongoing or just wrapped up. What can, I know it's hard, you can't talk about things specifically, but what can you tell us about those and how important those investigations are to make sure that the, the community believes the police are kind of being kept in check and making sure that everything is done correctly out there? 
Yeah, for sure. You know, ACERT, uh, for those who may not know, is the Alberta Serious Incident Repo- uh, Response Team. And that's an independent investigative agency in the province that comes in in cases where there's been uh, serious injury or death as a result of an interaction with a police officer. And so, you know, we've seen some of them. We had the recent shooting uh, on the LRT. Uh, that would be an example. And then, of course, we had a bit of a strange one uh, recently as well, where an individual had had a interaction with the police uh, a number of days earlier and then passed away. I think it was about four days after that. And so because of the, the, you know, the closeness and the proximity between when he passed unexpectedly and his interactions with the police that did involve uh, a use of force, uh, that went to ACER to have that investigated. And I think, you know, families, if, if uh, you're involved in situations like this or you have loved ones, you're going to want that independent investigation. And to be honest, our members deserve that too. I think the public uh, should be, you know, comforted by the fact that there is an agency that comes in that's independent of the police service that's involved uh, to look at these things and do the investigation. And I think that's, you know, that's as it should be. Chief, the uh, Community Justice Awards have uh, been handed out. The hardware has been handed out. Can you give us an idea of what the CJ, CJA award, well, CJAs are, and uh, give us an example of some of the winners? Yeah, for sure. So it's an annual award. The Community Justice Awards are an annual uh, award that's actually put out by um, the Solicitor General and Public Security uh, of the Government of Alberta. So they look at a number of different uh, categories, community builders and folks who are, um, who are uh, volunteering in the community. And I can tell you that we were really fortunate this year to have uh, two winners, uh, Constable Dallywell and uh, Constable Ford, uh, both of whom I know personally. Very, very uh, deserving winners and very, very uh, connected to the community. Uh, have been for the long term. I think it's a good example of uh, folks who come into policing, I think, with a real passion um, for the community and, and the type of work that they're doing and wanting to have a positive impact. And they're able to leverage that in, in amazing ways as, as police officers and through their careers. So shameless plug for recruiting as well, because I think people who uh, who have that type of uh, heart posture there for the community can, can come into policing and find that they can uh, really actually sort of supercharge their ability to have that positive impact. And these officers are inspirational in the work that they're doing. And we're really proud of them. You know, I was going to ask you about recruiting. I know it's an ongoing effort year-round for the CPS to try and get new members to come in. And, and is there a, a, a particular effort going right now? And, and who do you look for? And, and what kind of jobs are available for folks? Yeah, so it's uh, it's it's an interesting question. So we are definitely looking for people. We've had over the last couple of years, uh, it was anticipated, but we've had higher levels of attrition over the last couple of years. And so we definitely are uh, recruiting. Um, and in terms of who we look for, we kind of look for everybody. We'd love to be able to represent the community um, in, in every sort of way. Um, so it's interesting. I think in the past there was a, it seemed like, I don't know that there was a focus on, you know, young people coming in at, you know, early 20s or whatever, but it's really interesting now. We see mid-career people, we see folks who've, um, we see nurses and engineers and crown prosecutors and this type of thing where people who always wanted to get involved in policing who established themselves in, uh, in other careers and fields uh, coming over and bringing that life experience. Um, as well as the young people. So we actually try to get out and connected to the community through things like coffee with a cop and that sort of thing to have conversations and really invite all kinds of people to, uh, to consider a career in policing. You know, they talk about, um, researchers talk about the fact that we have as many as five or six different careers over the course, you know, of our work lives. And within the police service, you can actually have that same thing uh, and those type of experiences, whether you want to work with community, you want to work with youth, uh, you start in patrol, some people like, uh, obviously, forensics and that type of thing. And so there's, there's really no end to things that you can do uh, within the police service. So it, it really is something that, that uh, people should consider. Chief, uh, we, we had a release with something we discussed earlier on the program, which was that uh, the police uh, did uh, enter a house at some point and 
found a whole uh, a whole bunch of loot, including some mountain bikes and some some hockey cards, uh, etc. And I learned this morning that you can uh, you know send a, a question at recoveredproperty at calgarypolice.ca to try to get your stuff back. But I'd like you to give us a bit of a refresher because I think there might be some people out there who say, oh, you know, a bike got stolen over the yard, no big deal. I'll tell the neighbors, but not report it. Why is it important? to re- report things that have been stolen from our homes or backyards or cars? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Uh, yeah, a lot of times I think people feel like, well, they don't have the serial number or whatever. And But re- realistically, we leverage technology in new ways like that that you're talking about on the website where we can actually put pictures uh, out and, and uh, of things that, you know, tend not to have serial numbers or are a little more difficult to identify. So when you're talking about things like, you know, hockey card collections or coin collections or these types of things, um, you know, the owner would know what that consisted of and, and what would be in there. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we do, our, our analysts are looking uh, through our uh, reports for reports of stolen property. So if we don't see anything like that, it's really hard to match it up. Sometimes those search warrants that you talk about, we know that property, you know, in a particular location at a particular time doesn't belong to the individual that has it. But realistically, we really want to match it back up and return it to the owners. And some of these things, you know, the jewelry and, and the hockey cards and stuff can be quite valuable and they have a real sentimental value to owners too. So if there's a way to get that uh, back into the hands of people, we'll try to find it and using technology is one of them. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure to chat with you, Chief. Yeah, you too. Have a great day, you guys. You too. Thanks so much. That is Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld. As restrictions ease and things continue to reopen across the country, post-pandemic life will require credit rebuilding for many Canadians. To talk about what that looks like, we are joined once again by the VP of BDO, Marie Kozlowski. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Sue and Andy. How are you? Good. Thank you for joining us. So uh, new polling shows nearly one-third of indebted Canadians say their level of debt increased during the COVID-19 crisis, with two-thirds citing the pandemic as the key reason for the increase. So what, what are you hearing from your clients in regards to the past year and a half? Well, it's consistent with what the, the polling. I mean, it's very concerning because debt and how you manage debt is certainly tied to your credit score. And having good credit is really important uh, for, for Canadians. It's an important part of their financial health. Building and maintaining a positive credit score, you know, means that they can borrow. Um, they can get that mortgage there for the dream home. They can get approved for credit cards, get car loans, you know, and it can even impact the ability to get an apartment rental or even a dream job. So, you know, we do know that many Canadians are struggling financially and impacts on credit scores uh, affects those individuals who are living paycheck to paycheck and struggling with affordability more than other, other folks. You know, and it's important for individuals to understand what their credit score is, what their credit rating is, and how it's determined because they're different things. And many folks really don't understand credit. They don't understand how to use credit. It's very important that individuals get a copy of their credit report. There are two credit reporting agencies, Equifax Canada and TransUnion, and that should be done at least yearly. You know, a credit score, a little background here, between numbers range between three and 900. The higher the score, the more credit worthy you are considered to be. So anything above 760 is excellent. Anything below 560 is poor. And many things contribute to that, such as obviously payment history, credit utilization, your credit history generally, how many different types of credit that you have, and credit inquiries. So that's your credit score. Credit rating really applies to usually just one lender. And it goes from a scale of one to nine. 
uh, the lower the number, the better the, the rating, either installment credit, such as a car loan, uh, or for open credit, such as a line of credit, and offer revolving credit, such as a credit card. And, you know, when you get your credit report, take a look at it. There are four sections. Identifying information, what accounts you have, inquiry information. So creditors, when you've applied for credit, creditors make inquiries and want to take a look at your credit score, credit rating. And then public record and collections information is also on there. And they take a look at that to assess your credit worthiness. So with the pandemic, with the decline in, in overall credit scores, with the affordability challenges many people are experiencing, understanding your credit score, uh, your credit rating, your credit report is absolutely essential if you want to go on post-pandemic and rebuild your credit and repair it if necessary. Well, quick question before we get to how can you rebuild it or fix your credit score or rating, but I had heard you said you should check on it yearly. So is this is that a falsehood that, you know, it, it affects you if you ch- do check on it yearly? That's actually a negative? No, uh, you're pulling, you're getting a copy of it. You're not making an inquiry as to whether you're uh, um, eligible for credit. But uh, to, to be honest, Sue, I would only do it annually. Uh, the more you do it, the more impact you have on it. It's considered to be an inquiry. So I wouldn't do that monthly. I do it yearly. Okay. And you do it, you're doing it to determine, you know, just to understand it. But more importantly, to find out if there are any errors on there or any fraudulent activity. Okay. That's stuff that you need to bring up with your creditors and the Bureau. I'm wondering, and this is something we've kind of touched on before, but I think it's worth revisiting, Marie, and that is, you know, you start to see things slide a bit in the wrong way when it comes to your finances, uh, when it comes to, you know, making the ends meet, so to speak. At what point do I say it's time to call you know, a, a licensed insolvency trustee to, 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 to get some answers here. It's time to reach out for help. So at what point do you say, maybe I need to go outside the home? Uh, you know, maybe if I live alone, that's one thing, talking to friends or family, but I need to talk to a professional. Well, I think there are a few keys. You know, if you can only afford to make the minimum payments on your credit cards or not at all, that's an important key. I mean, it's a flag up the pole. You know, you need to come and talk to somebody. Or if you're your creditors are taking collection action, another huge situation. If you're being sued, or if creditors have got judgments and they're garnishing your paycheck, those are very important um, flags to, to look at. Come and see a licensed insolvency trust, uh, trustee such as myself before you get to that stage because the sooner you come, as I've said before, the sooner we can give you the options that you can consider. And of course, there'll be more options available at that point. And it's important to remember that, you know, at the initial meeting is free, it's confidential, and there's no obligation. And then you gather all that very important information and you are, you know, armed with information. So you're much more able to deal with the problems that, you know, you're facing. And nothing is insurmountable. Everything can be solved. And even if it's a proposal, a consumer proposal, or even a bankruptcy uh, that need you need to, to make that fresh start to uh, to eliminate your debt or reduce it, um, your credit can be rebuilt and repaired even after a consumer proposal and a bankruptcy. And there's one thing I know soon, Andrew, uh, from experiences, if you delay coming to see a licensed insolvency trustee and taking the action that you need to take with your accumulated debt, so it's a couple of years, then you have to do it two years down the road. And it takes an additional two years then 
uh, to repair and rebuild. So the sooner you come and talk, the sooner you have your options, the sooner you can see what option you need to take yourself, and then you can get on with your life financially, a fresh start, and then rebuild and repair your credit at that point. Yeah, hiding from it just doesn't work. So, you know, we don't have a ton of time left, but I did want to touch on the the fact that you just said you can rebuild your credit should things not be looking good right now. Yes, you can. And it, it's important. It's a process. It takes time, but you can do it. And it starts again with gathering information. Get that credit report. Educate yourself. You can talk to a licensed trustee to about the credit report and we can give you some tips. So review it. Bring your accounts up to date uh, and pay down your debt. If you can't afford to do that, come see a licensed insolvency trustee and we can assist you with some debt management options. Uh, rebuild your credit by making payments on time and responsibly managing your debt. At least make the minimum payment, but you can set up an automatic payment so you don't forget. We live in, we live very busy lives. But you know, most importantly, going back to many of the discussions we've had before, adopt good financial habits like budgeting and tracking spending. And you know, um, all of that information is available on our website at debtsolutions.bdo.ca. And you can call 1-855-BDO-DEBT. One of our um, call center uh, service people will talk to you about that and will connect you with a free confidential appointment. So the information is there. You just have to reach out and gather that information so you can then make a decision yourself as to what's best for you, for your family, because everybody is different. And getting informed is uh, the first step for sure, Marie. Thank you so much for your time this morning. We appreciate it. You're very welcoming. You take care. Bye-bye. That is Marie Kozlowski, VP of BDO. We all know social media is full of COVID-related information. Some right, much of it wrong. But uh, many take what they see on Facebook or Twitter as simply the truth. Dr. Rosita Dara is a professor in the School of Computer Science at the University of Guelph and says social media platforms may hold the key to boosting COVID-19 vaccination numbers and countering anti-immunization messages, mostly coming from Twitter bots and political activists. We're joined now by Dr. Dara. Good morning to you. Good morning. Well, your study shows that by tracking tweets and other posts on social media, you can target misinformation. How, how does it work? Can you give us some, some of the mechanics behind it? Sure. Um, in our research, uh, we use artificial intelligence to identify uh, Twitter at- accounts that were propagating misinformation. Uh, what we do, if we look at the content of the tweet, we also look at um, the validity. Maybe if there is a link in it, maybe we check the link. I mean, the, uh, the algorithm will check the link um, if the if the source is valid. Also, we look at the content il- itself. So we train AI algorithm with uh, human labeled data, which has uh, tweets have been uh, grouped into valid, positive, negative, or uh, anti-vaxxers, or you know that that, ty- that type of uh, annotation and we feed our AI algorithm and uh, based on pre-training and learning about past data they, w- they are able to identify um, uh, you know Twitter accounts or Twitter content that is considered misinformation although in this specific research we were very conservative and we looked at uh, actual phrases that were annotated by human to identify those as uh, misinformation or disinformation. So um, 
And so at this time, we, we weren't full, completely rely on AI. There was a lot of human and expert involvement. Dr. Jara, this is not new information to us in that realizing social media can play a role in spreading information and even more so uh, misinformation. So what did your study in particular find that we can use moving forward? Um, I think one of the one of the things that we found, first of all, uh, so this is not the only study we did. For example, we were able to show that uh, Twitter can, uh, Twitter and also Google scores will enable us to predict uh, an outbreak a few days or a few weeks in advance. Also, uh, the, this study shows that. Uh, uh, the news, for example, your, I mean, which is on TV, on social media, has an impact on activity on Twitter. So when there was a positive news about vaccine, there were a lot of discussion uh, among people, actual people and, or, uh, and created a lot of positive discussion. When there was negative, for example, delay in vaccination, release of vaccines, there was, again, a lot of activity and engagement on Twitter. This clearly shows that you know, um, information on social media has an impact on people's opinion and it could make them happy. It could make them uh, kind of, it may, it may give them discomfort or lack of trust. I think this inform, uh, our, re- our research shows that if, for example, public health um, or other government officials, health officials, start looking at Twitter and social media in general a little bit more um, proactively uh, in real time, especially at the time of crisis like this. It can guide them in terms of, uh, you know, how to educate public, how to, um, especially how to lower the impact of misinformation uh, by, by just looking at social media and what is being, what is being communicated with the people. Um, so I think that was an important findings that also confirmed how important social media is for the government, especially at the type of time of crisis, to monitor and try to uh, direct, um, you know, control measures and information that the public is getting about, uh, you know, vaccination, you know, control measures, just name it, you know, uh, so there are many other ways that information can be used and channelized. Um, but, uh, yeah, but we, you're right, our finding about bots are, uh, it has been done before, I guess, the year before by Carnegie Mellon University. And uh, they are, they have shown as well that many of the misinformation about COVID-19 was um, uh, generated by bots, uh, you know, by robots, basically, <laughs> Twitter robots. Uh, but not specifically to vaccination, our research is uh, quite new, but it was expected. Dr. Dara, thank you so much for sharing the research with us. We appreciate it. Okay, thank you very much. Bye. That is Dr. Rosita Dara, a professor in the School of Computer Science from the University of Guelph. There's nothing better than a restaurant or pub patio to hang out on during a hot summer day. It's been easier this year as city moved to, the city moved to allow businesses to expand their patios. Now Ward 8 Councillor Evan Woolley wants to see those supersized patios back every year. He joins us now to discuss. A good morning to you, Councillor Woolley. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. I know that so many Calgarians are fans of these expanded patios. Uh, You are, obviously, as well. So let's talk about, you know, from an idea and your want to see this a a summer fixture, what would the process be to get this uh, ball rolling and uh, put the motion forward? 
Yeah, you know, it's, it, uh, I, I'm just the conduit. I mean, I want it because I want to use the patios, but we've had a ton of, biz, a ton of business, businesses, restaurants, bars, coffee shops, and, again, a bunch of Calgarians who, who are asking and saying, this, this worked really, really well. Let's make this permanent. Um, one of the challenges we had is, is that it, it takes some money for businesses to invest in, uh, in those patios to make them look nice. Uh, a lot of them were pretty stripped, simple versions, uh, and without them knowing that this could be an annual thing, they didn't want to make that investment. So this notice of motion that I'm bringing just gets, uh, gets administration working to, to, to set up that permanent thing, gets them working with the business improvement areas and the businesses and the different stakeholders uh, to make sure that we can make this uh, smooth and easy and, and an ongoing thing, I hope. Yeah, I hope so too. And if that does come to pass, would those big orange city barricades stay there or would they actually no. have to have all their own kind of setup? No, I mean, God bless uh, engineers. Uh, the orange definitely uh, definitely was noticeable in, in, <laughs> yep. in keeping us safe. But, uh, but, but, but the two challenges that we had, uh, one was around accessibility because you had to step off and on the sidewalk. If you were in a wheelchair or, or, or mm-hmm. had challenges with mobility, it was kind of a pain in the butt. No, actually, not kind of. It was, it was a pain. And so going forward, we'll actually have them off, like the, where, where the sidewalks were, where the orange barriers were, is where the patios would be. And the sidewalks would remain clear. And so um, the orange barriers would be gone. We would just have, you know, some specs in which you had to build, you know, build your patio reasonably safe. But, um, yeah, going to be pretty simple. Pretty smooth process. Something that you're behind, obviously, and you say you have selfishly it's because you enjoy sitting on a patio. I think we all do. Uh, but not everyone is in favor of uh, the uh, you know continued expansion summer after summer of these patios. Uh, what are you hearing from those people uh, for, for not being on board? Sorry, who's not? Who's not? Well, we had somebody who was talking about the traffic congestion. Somebody said, I can't wait till 17th Avenue is done with it. There's always one. Yeah, so yeah. Are, are you saying that that is because the yeah. current setup and it would be uh, that would get rid of any traffic issues? Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, if for, for someone that's trying to get across town uh, on, on a hot, beautiful day, uh, even without these patios, I probably wouldn't use 17th Avenue. I'd use 12th Avenue or one of our through fares. I mean, 17th Avenue is a destination place mm-hmm. for people to do exactly what we are trying to do with these patios. We've had um, we've had a few congestion problems, but it's actually been pretty minimal. We've been we've been measuring traffic flows in the lake uh, over over the duration of the pa- pandemic, and even, even as we've seen uh, things open back up, I mean, 17th Avenue is clogged on any Saturday, Friday night. Mm-hmm. That's, just, that's just the nature of, of having a high street like that, and so. You know, I think I think haters are going to hate uh, no matter what, but I think the vast majority of businesses are pretty supportive of that. We've got to figure out some of the parking bits for those businesses that aren't, right? Like, we've got to make sure that the patios don't intrude on, right, like a retail shop yeah. or, or my favorite sandwich shop on 17th Avenue, Alumni. Uh, they just do a lot of takeout business, so he needs that loading zone there, so we've got to make sure that, that he isn't obstructive from doing that. But uh, it worked super smooth uh, uh, through, through this pandemic, and, 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 and there's a lot, a lot of interest. And, again, it's going to be the individual business's choice. If you don't want this and you want the three stalls, uh, of parking out front of your out front of your business uh, that that that's going to be up to you and so it really becomes a choice uh, a choice for these businesses and and I think um, for me and for others it's we're we're here to support that decision absolutely win win for everybody thank you so much for your time appreciate hey, it thanks for having me thanks. appreciate it Wordy Councillor Evan Woolley thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast don't forget to subscribe rate and review for free at Apple Podcast Google Play or wherever you find your podcasts and tune in to mornings with Sue and Andy from five. 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.